all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. And we're back on Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm a surgical pathologist, and I'm here today talking to two gastroenterologists, Dr. Michelle Petro and Dr. Jane Claire Williams. They both practice at GI Associates here in Jackson, Mississippi. We're talking today about colorectal cancer awareness, screening. Colon cancer is the second leading cause of cancer deaths in both men and women in our country. There are about 140,000 patients diagnosed with colorectal cancer every year, and about 50,000 die. But that number could be lower um, with with better screening practices. And so we're going to talk all about this today. This is a huge way that you can impact your health, the health of a loved one, to be more aware of what the screening guidelines are. And really, that it's not that scary. I know people think about it. They're intimidated by the procedure. But we're going to dispel some myths today with our ladies. Not all precancerous polyps. We know that most cancers do evolve from a polyp or a little um, growth in the colon that starts off kind of bland and can turn into cancer. Not all polyps become cancer, but some do. And we don't know which ones will and which ones won't. And those polyps aren't always symptomatic. So not everyone has bleeding or pain or weight loss prior to a diagnosis of cancer. So it's really something that needs to be screened and followed up with by a professional. And speaking of professional, we've got two sitting here today. Dr. Williams, good morning. morning. I'm going to ask you first to tell us a little bit about yourself, about your training, where you're from. My name is Jane Claire Williams, and I'm a gastroenterologist here in Jackson at GI Associates. Um, I did my med school here in Jackson at the Medical Center, as well as my residency. And then I went to Texas, to um, Dallas, and did a GI fellowship at Baylor there. And I practiced general GI, see men, women, do a little extra advanced endoscopy things as well. But kind of take care of the bread and butter of GI, GI associates as well. Awesome. And Dr. Petro? And I'm Michelle Petro. I'm also from Jackson. I um, grew up here and did residency, med school, residency, and fellowship all here at UMC. And I practice at GI associates and have been there for about 13 years and practice general GI um, and that's hard to believe, That's 13 it. years. I know. I've known uh, Dr. Petro for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. She used to live next door to my parents, mm-hmm. I have to say. I did. They when were she very was in medical school. Yeah, so. It goes about fast, for sure. <laughs> yes. It, it definitely does. I'm going to give out the number. We have a caller on the line already. Oh, but Mark, before we get to you, that number is one 672 7464 That's one eight seven seven mpb ring Also, you can email us at women at mpbonline.org. Mark is calling from Tupelo. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Morning, Doc. How are y'all doing? We're great. Good. What's your question, hey, Mark? Uh, this is the same Mark as did the uh, stage hand work for the uh, Kiss concert. All right. Back in the day. Yeah. Uh, anyway, 
here's the thing. Um, I've got a history of uh, thrombose hemorrhoids. And it's bad enough that um, I got my first set when I was probably 35 years old. I'm now uh, a young 42. Uh, and at the time, uh, my mom's baby brother, my youngest uncle, died of colon cancer. And he was stage 2 and didn't even know it. Uh, so obviously the uh, thrombus hemorrhoids scared me bad enough to get it checked out. And at, the, at a young 35, I had my first colonoscopy. It's now bad enough that I've already been recommended by my GIs at the uh, VA in Memphis for a second colonoscopy. Is that a bad sign of possible uh, colon cancer? That's a great question, Mark. First of all, are hemorrhoids and colon cancer related? So hemorrhoids and colon cancer are not related. Um, Hemorrhoids, you know, pardon the pun, but can certainly be a pain in the butt, but certainly are not um, related. You've said that before, I think. They're they're not necessarily, um, you know, related to colon cancer. Certainly, um, at the recommendation of your gastroenterologist, we do, in patients who have rectal bleeding or issues with hemorrhoids like that, we do like to rule out any other pathology that could be causing bleeding, like big polyps or cancer or things like that. Um, but your hemorrhoids don't necessarily put you at an increased risk for developing cancer. But your family history does. For sure. And so that is an appropriate recommendation to have a colonoscopy yeah. again. Yeah, for sure. Does that answer I your question? Figured, I kind of figured. It did. I kind of I figured as much. But ever since I lost my uncle and I, I had my first, that first thrombus hemorrhoid, it scared me bad enough to get it checked out quick. Well, great. We're glad you got it checked out. Yeah, you're doing the right thing, Mark. You just listen to your docs and do that follow-up. And uh, the best thing to do is to, to know uh, what's going on in there, so to speak. And uh, the way All to right. do that is to get a colonoscopy. Thanks for your call, Mark. Keep on rocking. One last uh, one, one last question. Yeah. Uh, is there any way to avoid doing that uh, that prep work for it? Because that stuff scares me from drinking water for about usually a month. So different types of prep. There are lots of different types, right, Dr. Petro? There are lots of different types of preps. Um, we have lower volume preps like ClinPick, and there's some others that are less to drink. But there's also, and I don't know if that's offered near where you'll be having your colonoscopy, but we have something called HygiaCare, which is basically where you come in and you sit on a special seat and you literally get washed out. Um, right before your colonoscopy. So you may want to look into your options around where you are and see if that may be available. Good luck, Mark. Bye-bye, Mark. Thanks for calling. The number is one 672 7464 That's 1-877-MPB-RING. If, like Mark, you have questions about your potential risk for getting colon cancer, or any question whatsoever or a comment, just go ahead and give us a call or email us at women at mpbonline.org. So bleeding, that must be a big thing that people come to see you guys for, concern about uh, re- bleeding from the rectum or bleeding from your rear end or yes. from the pain in your butt, right? For sure, <laughs> yes, from the pain in your butt. So what, what are some uh, possible warning signs and symptoms that would make someone probably think that they should go see their gastroenterologist, that you would recommend them come see you. And we refer to these as alarm symptoms. So when we see a patient, something that would prompt us, you know, to seek out further investigation, maybe with something like a colonoscopy, things like changes in bowel habits, bleeding, weight loss, 
unexplained bloating or abdominal pain. Um, all of those things are things that we kind of go through and try to get a good history with the patient and determine if it's something that um, should be investigated further, if we can just try medications first. But those are the things that you should at least talk to your primary care physician about and question about whether you need to be seen by a gastroenterologist or, you know, call the, your gastroenterologist and get in to see them. Yeah, because we're talking about colorectal cancer today, but you guys deal with a lot of other things and this pain and bloating. There, well, I think a lot of people live with these types of signs and symptoms, and they just think this is and how they are. most of the time, they're okay, and they're not related yeah. to colon cancer. But if you haven't been looked at, it is a good idea to get an evaluation and see if your symptoms, you know, could be leading to something else that yeah, we need to find to out. Yes. But also, they could have these symptoms, and there could be something else wrong with them that's treatable, right? Yes, you don't really don't sure. need to suffer with um, these kind of ear yes, bowel, a lot bowel we can type do. complaints. Yes. Yeah. So these ladies don't just treat cancer. Your gastroenterologists don't just treat cancer. Any real type of issues that you're having with your GI tract from start to finish. That's true. Mouth <laughs> to anus, we say. <laughs> that's right. So And everything it, in between. <laughs> yes. That Everything in between, y'all. <laughs> y'all heard that? <laughs> so we want to talk some about screening because the ages have changed and I think people get kind of confused. How old should they be? How does it change with certain risk factors? So can you guys help us understand uh, what are the latest recommendations? Sure. Typically you start when you're 50 years old, but if you have symptoms, obviously it could be sooner. And then a family history of colon cancer in a first degree relative would put or polyps would put you at a start at 40 or 10 years before they were diagnosed, whichever comes earliest. And then there's a new recommendation for African-Americans to start at age 45 with pushes from the American Cancer Society to move that age earlier for everyone. And so we have a lot of African-American patients or people, I guess, not, not quite patients yet, in Mississippi. Why is that a difference in age for that demographic? Well, it seems that they seem to get polyps and cancer earlier than other races. Yeah, yeah. so that's very important. So making a different screening recommendation depending on your ethnicity. So everyone needs to pay attention to all these different guidelines. Um, So let's say, so even if you have a family history, like you just said, you might need to even go before the age of 40. So let's say if your parent had colon cancer at 45, you'd go at? 35. 35, 10 minus the age. <laughs> yes. So just every, I'm not sure that people are so much aware of that. So I think that's something that's really important because uh, a first degree relative, that's your mother or your father, a sibling, or I guess, or a child, which would be less likely. Right. Um, right. You guys need to have kind of an extra alarm for those folks. Right. We have another caller. Barbara is calling us. She's riding through Mississippi. Lucky oh, you, great. Barb. Hey, what's your question? Thank you. Well, I, excuse me. I heard your program, heard your program driving through, and what you're talking about. I'm just making a a real. Uh, see if I can describe this. Bowel movements that are not the same. When it used to be just a regular bowel movement, and lately it's been little hard knots about the size of a, a pea or something, and it comes out half of the. Part of it comes out in the morning, part of it comes out in the afternoon, but it's not like it used to be. Is that a scary thing? Or Well, tell us, have you ever had a colonoscopy? It's been a long, long time ago. I couldn't even tell you exactly yeah. how long, but it's been five or six, seven years. And if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I am 83. Oh, wow. Okay. 
Well, certainly, I think in this situation, it would be wise for you to get in to see your primary care doctor or um, even your gastroenterologist. You know, if you've had a colonoscopy in the past, you probably have someone that you're familiar with because we do consider these changes in bowel habits an alarm symptom, and it may be something that they um, would like to investigate further. Uh, To note, though, I mean, bowel habits can change over time. And as we get older, sometimes, especially in women with changes in hormones and things like that, constipation can become more predominant. But if you're used to a certain type of bowel movement and things have changed, you should definitely probably get that checked out. I'm sorry. Say that again. You say to that for me. You you should definitely reach out to your doctor and get in meet with them and see if they feel like you need to have any other further investigation. In addition to that, they can also probably um, prescribe you some medications or recommend some over-the-counter treatments to at least get you feeling better. Doctor, thank you. Oh, speaking of over-the-counter things, something that they told me to take uh, every day, and it's real fizzy. I forgot the name of the stuff. Uh, Miralax or something but, like that? Yeah, that's that's the same thing. I mean, it might be a different brand, mm-hmm. but it's that's what it is. But whenever I've taken that, I get diarrhea. I mean, quick. You could try, like, Colet stool softener over the counter. Just um, that would be well, a little bit more gentle. That. I've been taking that uh, softener. Yeah, I've been taking okay. that uh, probably every other night, but it doesn't seem to, to change anything. Well, you could try and take two every day and see if that helps. Oh, okay. I might I try that. For, when I get back, I'll go see that doctor. Yeah, <laughs> and be sure good. and follow up with your doctor. Thank you so very much. You're welcome. Okay. Thanks for your call, Barbara. Oh, 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 oh yes, oh, ma'am. I heard you say something about something else you could take before you had a colonoscopy, because that, that stuff was horrible. And yes, I the preps have changed, Barbara. Yes. Keep listening. We're going to talk all about the different preps. So don't okay. don't be afraid oh, oh, to go have your, your scope. A scope? A <laughs> colonoscopy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate the help. Thanks for your call. Uh, we have another caller on the line, but first the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to V, who's calling us from Waynesboro. Hey, V. Yes. Hi. Hi. My question is, would you speak on uh, mental health and the effect of the gut um, diet and... Um, of medication, um, Synthroid um, for grave disease. Synthroid for what? Grave disease? Yes. Uh, okay, well, we have two gastroenter- gastroenterologists on the show today. Did you have a, so you were asking about diet for mental illness? No, I'm thinking about uh, stress, depression, and how it affects the gut. Oh, gotcha. oh Every, okay, that's a great question. Everything can affect that's the gut. Question. Connection. Yes, you're straight. You know, different people manifest stress different ways, and our guts have been shown to have a lot of neurotransmitters similar to what's in the brain. And so sometimes what affects the brain and the mental health can affect the gut. And we have various ways of treating that. And do you have a GI doctor or a primary care doctor that you've seen yet? V, are, you, are you having issues, V? Is this for a question about if I may ask about you personally having issues? It's just a. Uh question about issues that concern me okay so have you seen a doctor about these things i have a uh, gastro and a primary okay good and you've talked to them about these issues yes okay yes. good and they've evaluated you i take it with scope test with the colonoscopy yep, the col- 
Okay. So you can have irritable bowel, which can or cannot. It doesn't have to necessarily be related to mental health, but mental health certainly can affect the gut. Um, I don't know which specific issue you're asking about, but it can give you, you know, make you have gut spasms or give you diarrhea or even constipate you at times based on the medication. And we always need to make sure that your thyroid medicine is appropriately adjusted with appropriate levels because that certainly can affect your gut as well. It can affect everything. Yes. Would you speak about diet, a healthy diet for the best gut health? Diets are, um, there's all kinds of different diets that could be recommended, but generally I recommend just a good, healthy um, diet of as unprocessed foods as you can. Try and avoid sugars and too many fats um, and just try and eat an appropriate amount for to get the nutrients without overeating. I try and avoid all processed foods and eat as naturally as I can. So a good high-fiber diet, V. You know, these gastroenterologists like you to have your fiber. It keeps everything running smooth, so to speak. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for your call. Oh, I don't know if I can believe my eyes right now. We have Casanova is calling us from Biloxi. I can't wait to hear this question, Casanova. That's a great name. You have a lot to live up to when you are named Casanova. Yeah, I don't know what my parents are thinking. (laughs) What's your question? uh, uh, Yeah, I had a question when I heard you say uh, from, you know, from your rectal to your mouth and everything in between. Um, So lately, I've been coughing up blood, and I was wondering if that could be related. So coughing up blood, um, the things that we worry about when someone is actually coughing up blood and not throwing up blood is that you could have some sort of problem with either the back of your throat or your respiratory tract or your lungs that would be causing you to cough up blood. That can be anything from infections to um, small tumors to inflammation. And typically, people who are coughing up blood should seek care with their primary care physician and possibly a pulmonologist or a lung doctor in order to have that evaluated. Um, If you're throwing up blood, that is a GI issue that we often address and investigate with a scope where we look in the esophagus and the stomach to check things out to see if there's an ulcer or inflammation. But if you're coughing up blood, I would definitely seek out care with your primary care doctor first. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I'm currently in between because I, I just moved, uh, you know, across the coast. So okay, perfect. i got to find a new doctor. But I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. We're going to go ahead and take our first break of the hour. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at women at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I am Dr. Allie Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is out today. We miss her, but she needs a day off. I mean, every now and then we'll let her go. I'm a surgical pathologist, and I am joined today with two gastroenterologists, Dr. Michelle Petro and Dr. Jane Claire Williams from GI Associates here in Jackson, Mississippi. We were just talking at the break about how big that group is. They are thinking, they're saying they don't even know almost how, about 30 or so physicians in total. Um, it's a large group yeah. that uh, does a lot of great service for our, for our community here in central Mississippi and beyond. We're going to go on and go straight to the phone lines. Everyone has issues today about their GI tract. That's why they need so many docs over there. Gail is calling us. She, another person, is driving through Mississippi. Hey, Gail. Hello. Thanks for calling. What's your question? Well, um, I'm actually from Brandon. I'm headed that direction. But um, I have had a history of um, bowel incontinence. I saw a doctor at GI Associates two years ago and had a colonoscopy and they also did some type of uh, test muscle test and really didn't show anything and there's not been any change Um, I'm at the point now that I have to wear adult depends and it's kind of frustrating is there any other help I could get? Well, first of all, thanks for your call, Gail. I know that's not something that's easy to talk about, but I think it's probably something that affects a lot of people out there who maybe either are feel could potentially feel ashamed and afraid to tell anyone, or even some folks won't even go to the doctor, you know, to discuss something like yes. that. So I think just you calling, Gail, I want to thank you for that. I, I think that you're probably helping other folks um, through talking about your own issues. Now, doctors, uh, what what can we do for folks like Gail? Well, fecal incontinence, you know that is something that a lot of women have and it 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 develops and it becomes more significant with age as you lo- you lose hormones and the um, your pelvis becomes more lax and so first of all we try to make sure that you're not having loose stools because that can certainly um, make your fecal incontinence worse and it sounds like you had a test uh, called an anorectal manometry is that yeah, is what I'm life. thinking you probably uh-huh. had. And that may or may not show, show a cause for your problem. Um, but there are some other tests that can be done. And there's also, we actually have some good physical therapists in town now that do pelvic floor physical therapy. And so oh, that wow. that can actually be, be beneficial and can actually help you kind of build those muscles back up um, to improve that continence or ability to kind of hold the stool in. So my recommendation to you would be to try to get back into your, with your gastroenterologist and talk to them about it and see if there's any new options for ways that they can help you out. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Good. I also have, um, what do you call it? Uh, oh my goodness. Irritable bowel syndrome. Yes. So I do fluctuate between diarrhea type and or loose stool. Right. And that so, can oftentimes if we can get that under control, it mm-hmm. that can oftentimes improve your continence issues because if you're not having diarrhea, um, then 
the likelihood that you're going to have an accident is less. Yes. Okay, let me ask you this. I did see a male doctor, and I would prefer to see a female. How do I go about doing that, changing? Well, you know, um, certainly the best way to do that is just to call and maybe talk to the doctor's nurse that you've seen before and ask them the questions. And, um, you know, if you prefer a female, certainly everybody can has their bias of male or female or, you know, and that's certainly fine. And certainly all of us um, at GI Associates, we're always open to allowing our patients to be with the doctor that they're most comfortable with. Okay. All right. Thank okay. you so much. Well, right. thanks for calling, Gail. That was a great question. And I'm glad you brought up this physical therapy thing because I think people, they think about muscles. They think about, obviously, in your arms and your legs, and they don't often think about all of the muscles that are involved in the pelvic floor. I mean, there are a lot of them. I remember learning them there at one are. point yes. in, in medical school. Um, so those are also muscles that need to be strengthened over time and um uh, laxity of those muscles can cause a whole variety of issues, yes, not just GI sure. issues, but gynecologic issues, urinary incontinence, etc. So that's a great resource to know that's available out uh, in Jackson. Yes. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to stay on the phones and go to Christopher, who's calling us from Gulfport. It's a big day on the coast today. Hey, Christopher. Hey, um, my question is: um, a lot of times. I suffer from anxiety issues a lot, and um, whenever my stomach gets upset or whenever I have an upset stomach, because I also suffer from IBS, it feels like there's like a direct connection from like my nerves to my stomach, because if my stomach's upset, then I get really nervous, and I can actually have a panic attack, but other times, if I'm having, if I'm feeling nervous, my IBS starts to act up, and I have to use, I feel like I need to use the restroom like immediately. And it's really, I was just, because you were talking about neurotransmitters, kind of like similarly in the stomach, so I was just curious about that. So that is very common, Christopher. Um, That happens to a lot of people, but there are several different medications that could be prescribed to you. So I do suggest you see in your primary care or your GI doctor in getting the appropriate evaluation. And there's several medicines that you can, one particularly, that you can just slip under your tongue the minute you start feeling it, and it helps relax gut. You relax your gut so it'll decrease that spasm and decrease the urge to go to the bathroom so that sounds okay. like a good option for you all right thank you so much okay thanks for thank calling you. well that's great so it's not a medication you have to take like every day a lot of people don't want to add another medication or right. reluctant it's to take it as needed that's yes yeah that's a fantastic option because I guess I, could, I, I knew before, but now I, from a lot of our callers, we can see a lot of people do suffer with kind of this constellation of irritable bowel uh, disease. It's something that's really, really common. Yes, so definitely. it's nice to know um, that there are lots of different options out there. We could do a whole show on irritable yeah, bowel. for sure. It seems mm-hmm. almost like we are. <laughs> but if we get, oh, I hear the music. The music means it's time to go to our second break of the hour. I was having so much fun, I almost wasn't going to stop. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also email us at women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back with Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. And we're back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is Dr. Allie Brown. Hello, I'm a surgical pathologist here in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm joined today by my two guests, Dr. Jane Claire Williams and Dr. Michelle Petro both at GI Associates here in Jackson, Mississippi. We're talking mainly about colorectal cancer screening, but we've had a lot of folks call in with all kinds of different questions, and our phone lines are lit up. So we're going to go straight to the phones to Heidi, who's calling us from Ocean Springs. Hey, Heidi. Hi. What's your question? Um, I was curious about um, vegetarianism and if there's any, like, disadvantage not eating meat. I know that the World Health Organization came out with the whole, you know, meat being carcinogenic. I'm just curious as to what your opinion is on that. Well, um, it's not the meat that's carcinogenic from what I understand, but maybe some of the charcoal char on the outside of grilled meats. Um, Is that what you're speaking of? Yeah. And are you doing... There's obviously have, different have, degrees of vegetarianism, but if you can find ways to get enough protein, then it can be a very healthy way of life. Yeah, I've been a vegetarian for about two years, but I was thinking about going vegan, which is taking dairy and everything out of my diet, and I didn't know if that was safe or not. It, it's safe. I mean, people do it. People mm-hmm. that do it love it, feel good. You just have mm-hmm. to, again, make sure you're getting the appropriate nutrients. Maybe get some blood work periodically and take a good multivitamin um, mm-hmm. and just make sure you're getting enough protein. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Pedro, when you're on these restrictive-type diets, what are some important things to keep in mind? I feel like a lot of people are doing these keto diets, these vegan diets. You know, there are a lot of different variations out there right now. What are some things to keep in mind for gut health and just health overall? Just getting enough fiber, protein, and then your micronutrients can be an issue. And so a good multivitamin will probably help take care of that. But make sure you get some variety of foods. Even if you're leaving out a whole food group, make sure you're replacing whatever that gave you with, you know, an appropriate choice from whatever diet you're doing. And there's lots of diets out there. And I think our views are starting to change on the intake of fats and carbs and that kind of thing. Um, a lot of people do intermittent fasting, which people love, and it seems to be catching on a lot. Um, but you just have to make sure that you're not excluding anything important for your body and for your health. Yeah, that's a good answer. So for all you folks out there who are doing all these ovo-lacto <laughs> things out there, make sure you're getting everything that you need to get despite your restricted diet. We're going to stay on the phone lines and go to Gail, who's calling from the city they call Long Beach. Hey, Gail. Hey, what's Little up? Snoop Dogg reference. What's going on, Gail? Uh, what's your question? Got, my question is this. I have idiopathic gastroparesis, and they went and put a pacemaker in, and it didn't work. I'm now looking to find someone to take me out. But in the meantime... I have been, unfortunately, diagnosed with celiac. And, yes, I do adhere to that forsaken diet. So as far as, you know, the combination of, you know, the slow digestion and the celiac, is there anything I can do to stop this bloating in the upper abdomen? So, you know... 
the types of foods that are going to promote bloating are the high residue foods. And so, you know, we preach, 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 high fiber, high fiber. But in this situation where um, you're having bloating and you're having a hard time with stomach emptying, oftentimes we'll recommend a more low residue diet, which means um, less raw vegetables. So you want to avoid raw vegetables. You want to avoid... Um, things that your body's going to have a hard time digesting in order to allow your stomach to empty more easily. So cooked vegetables are good. Um, Fruits that don't have skins like a banana and things like that are good. Um, And there's lots of gluten-free options now. So you can get gluten-free pasta, gluten-free bread, you know, the things um, that are going to be easier for you to digest but still will maintain your celiac diet. Yeah, I, um, well, unfortunately, I order a lot of my stuff online because we don't have a whole foods around here, and so it, it's kind of nit and pick where you can find some items. Yes, Amazon is my best friend, too. <laughs> you can get anything on Amazon. Anything. Well, there's another place it's called Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E. Oh, yes. And they have... You know, a lot also, but, you know, it's just got to find it. So does the celiac impair the emptying, or is it just a side thing? I think it's probably just coincidental. I mean, certainly in people who have celiac disease, um, you can develop some pretty significant GI issues, but typically um, gastric motility is not necessarily one of them. Is there any um, word out there that going to get something out on the market besides Viking? Well, you know, there are good medicines for gastroparesis. Unfortunately, some of them are not approved in the United States, and they're old medications. And right now, um, the only FDA-approved pro-motility agent that we have is Reglan. Um, I do think that there are some drugs, if I remember correctly, that are in... Um, going kind of through the FDA process, so stay tuned. Hopefully, there'll be something new to help you out soon. Yeah, I had uh, taken propulsive, but unfortunately, yes, they took it off the market. Right. All right, well, thanks for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for your call, Gail. We have some other folks on the line. The number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. You can also email us at women at mpbonline dot org. Staying on the phones, we're going to Rich, who's calling from Picayune. Hey, Rich. Hi. Hey, what's your question? I wanted to um, discuss the the prevalence of digestive issues in correspondence to the the practice of spraying Roundup on the crops to make harvesting easier, and also the genetically modified food. Uh, From what I've read, there's an tremendous, tremendous spike in these instances and they correspond directly with the fact that we have to feed. Some people think we need to feed the world when good organic gardening would give actual nutrition to the food that we have. So I know it's unpopular, but I'd like you to touch on that, please. Okay. Thanks for your question. Well, I'm not quite sure how to touch on this. I mean, there is all kinds of stuff out there on GMO and all the Roundup and those types of things, but the actual direct effect on gut issues, I'm not sure of. Um, I don't know that 
yeah, we no. will be sure of for a while. But I do know that, you know, a lot of people eat too much of everything and a lot of people eat too many processed foods. And I honestly think that's in we're on more medications than we've ever been on. And, you know, we have more stress. We have less time. We don't exercise as much. We don't drink enough water. And I think those things have more of an effect than these unknowns. I, you know, I hate modified things. I hate processed things. And I try and stay away from all the chemicals that I can. But I don't know their direct effect on our GI tract. I think we have a lot, a lot of things that do have an effect. Um, But that's all I have to say. Yeah, I don't think anything directly has been found yet. But, uh, you know, the the jury is still out. Thank you for bringing uh, this topic up, Rich. I think it's important to talk about. All right. Have a great day. Staying on the phone, we're going to Will, who's calling us from Clinton, right over here close to Jackson. Hey, Will. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. Right. What's your question? I'm a 67-year-old I'm a male. I just dropped a stool sample at GI Associates. I got an appointment next week. But uh, I just had an ablation because of AFib, and my uh, cardiologist won't release me to get off of blood thinners. And so I had to cancel a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. Uh, last week, because I wasn't sure that you could do that while I was on blood thinners. But uh, I was wondering, are there any less invasive tests you can... I've had loose bowel movements for about two months. I have seen one of your doctors at GI Associates. He put me on Lomatil, and a nurse practitioner put me on something else. didn't seem to help. And I was just wondering if there was something serious. That's what I wanted to determine, so... Are there any less invasive procedures you can test like for cancer? Well, and it kind of depends on what type of cancer you're asking about. Certainly if you have diarrhea, you know, it sounds like your your doctor's doing the appropriate thing with getting stool studies and that sort of thing to check for infection or inflammation in the colon. Um, And it sounds like the next most plausible step in your workup is going to be an EGD and a colonoscopy. And we we do hesitate to do those tests while someone is on blood thinners, but certainly if there's some urgency to it and you cannot get off your blood thinner, um, oftentimes the doctor will do it with the understanding that we can't do really a lot of removing big polyps and that sort of thing while you're on blood thinners. Um, there are some less invasive tests to check for colon cancer, though. Um, there's a, a test called a FIT test, which is a test that um, checks for um, human blood in the stool. There's some DNA stool tests. There's um, something called Cologuard, which is a, a test that you've probably seen commercials about that are screening tests or tests that check um, for possible colon cancer in the colon. With those tests, um, there is always the chance, though, that if the test is positive, that you would have to have a colonoscopy to have that further investigated. So our stance at GI Associates is um, for those patients who are able to have a colonoscopy, we always recommend that as our kind of gold standard for colon cancer screening, Um, although these other tests can be useful. In your situation, though, I think that you're probably going to ultimately need to have those tests if your diarrhea doesn't get better um, because those are going to be the best tests to figure out what's going on so we can get your problem fixed. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for your call, Will. 
Staying on the lines, we're going to go to Alice, who's calling us from Macomb. Hey, Alice, good morning. Good morning. What's your question? I just want you to, to uh, discuss this here. I'm going to spell it. D-I-V-E-R-T-I-C-U-L-O-S-I-S. So that's diverticulosis. I'd like to hear some information. I thought yes. Jay was going to hit the bell when you spelled it right. Let's hear it, Jay. Yay. Oh, no bell. Oh, well. I, I thought you were going to get a point for being. Oh, there you, there go. you go. All right, good. Okay, so diverticulosis is a very common condition um, where people will develop these little pockets or outpouchings in the lining of the colon. We tend to see them more sort of on the left side of the colon, which is the sigmoid and the descending colon. Um, people who are more prone to that are people who tend to have constipation, although really anybody can have them. And these little pockets are kind of just like a little weak space in the lining of the colon where you just kind of develop this little out pouching. So diverticulosis, I get this question a lot, diverticulosis and diverticulitis are two different things. So diverticulosis is the condition of having these little pockets, and diverticulitis is when you develop an infection in the pocket, and the symptoms for that are pain, fever, sometimes patients will actually have bleeding or diarrhea associated with that, and we recommend that patients who have diverticulosis try to make sure they get plenty of fiber, even take a fiber supplement if you can't get all the fiber you need in your diet, in order to try to bulk your stools up to avoid the diverticulitis or bleeding. Sometimes you can bleed from diverticulosis. And Alice is not on the line anymore, but I hope that answered her question. Yes. A very common ailment that folks suffer with. Uh, we're going to stay on the lines and we're going to go to Paul, who's calling from Ocean Springs. Hey, Paul. Hey, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I joined kind of late. Uh, well, I, joined, I started listening kind of late to the station, uh, to the show today, but since we're talking about uh, gastro issues um just wanted to share a little bit about what i've had success with so i had emergency surgery when i was 15 diagnosed with Crohn's disease had a few more surgeries up until 2005 and uh the past four years i guess have been an entirely different lifestyle and it resulted in an entirely different uh, uh digestive system so i started running I started drinking water. I stopped eating meat. I do eat seafood. Uh, and I started to focus more on my, you know, on, more on parenting and more on my job, more on myself. And it's almost like I never had issues. It, it's been game-changing, life-changing. So for anybody who's listening that has kinds of problems, uh, you know, a healthy lifestyle really can make a world of difference. Oh, that's a that's a great comment there, Paul. Self care. Imagine that, right? Yes. Good for you, Paul. Right. Good for you. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. sharing that. Yeah, just goes to show you are, you are what you eat, and that's uh, you are how you treat yourself, right? Yes. I yeah. think we get so used to taking care of other folks and running around all day that we forget to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And thank you, Paul, for that reminder. I don't know if you ladies have anything to comment about that. Or... Yeah, that's wonderful, yeah, Paul. That is... I'm glad you're feeling better. Glad for your healthy changes. It can help a lot. Thanks for your call. We're going to stay on the phone lines. We have another call. Uh, is it Eamon or Eamon who's calling, uh, driving through Mississippi? Eamon. Hey, Eamon. Hi, how are you guys? Doing well. How Good. are you? 
good, good. Not bad at all. Thank you. So my question is, it's about my niece. She had a liver replacement, and um, she had a surgery actually first when she was 60 days old because she had an infection between those small tubes between the liver and that curved side of the, uh, of the what do you call it, right under the stomach. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, uh, they attached the liver straight to her small intestines, and then after a while, because of the infections that she kept getting, they had to replace the liver because it got like damaged beyond repair. How, however, my question is, what can she do? Because her problem right now is every time she has a problem with the liver or an infection goes on, she has to fly from Libya to Turkey, and they have to take care of her there because there's not a good care in Libya itself. So is there anything that she can do from eating or life behavior that would prevent those kind of infections from happening there? So that is a question um, that is kind of hard to answer, but we always recommend a healthy diet, unprocessed foods, drink plenty of water, and take as good of care of herself as she can. But I don't know that there's anything in particular with her having to be on antibiotics. If she has access to probiotics, you know, like active cultures, yogurt or the over the counter supplements that give um, or certain types of foods can give those good bacteria into her intestines and maybe at least help with the side effects of her antibiotics. But I'm not sure what else. Um, we could do to add other than, again, just taking as good a care of herself as she can, getting the appropriate nutrients, protein, um, and good foods. And what about, you know, the issues with bile? I mean, obviously, um, I guess for the folks listening at home, the liver, one of the things that it does is that it um, creates bile that's kind of stored in the gallbladder. We've all heard of the gallbladder. And it's released when we eat to help with digestion with certain things. It sounds like Eamon's uh, sister, did you say? Niece. Niece, yeah. Sorry, as niece um, might have some issues. What, what are some diets maybe that can help folks that have some problems with their biliary tract like or don't have, have a gallbladder? Do people have to alter their diet? Well, you know, the gallbladder, um, like you said, stores bile. And so when you don't have a gallbladder anymore, you don't really have that reservoir to store the bile. And so the bile can be secreted into the gut um, even when you're not eating. So especially people have problems with um, nausea or diarrhea. That can be related to excess bile that gets leaked into the gut in the middle of the night and can cause um, inflammation in the stomach and irritation. Really, the foods that you want to avoid are high-fat foods. You know, certainly the the hormone that's released that used to make the gallbladder um, contract and push the bile into the gut, um, you know, it responds mostly to fatty meals. So we just recommend healthy, um, kind of low-fat type meals for that. You know, it sounds like for his niece, this is... a pretty complicated issue. She's on medicines that are suppressing her immune system, so she's at increased risk for infection if she had a liver transplant. And there could be something structurally going on that's also causing her to have these infections. I'm sure she's got a transplant team that's kind of on top of it. So I agree with Dr. Petro that, you know, really healthy, um, well-rounded diet and probiotics are a good option for her as far as the things that she can personally do to try to lessen the degree of these episodes. Okay. I hope that's helpful, Eamon, and I wish your niece the best of luck. It is. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, we're almost done with the show today. We did talk a little bit about colorectal cancer screening. We talked about that there are different options. We talked about how old you should be to have this sort of screening. I want everyone to know that the that the prep is not as bad, maybe as some people uh, make it out to be, or as it was in the past. That maybe some folks have experienced it. If, if I just, you know, I think an important thing for us to get through in the last yes. few minutes is not to be afraid to come get a colonoscopy. No, for sure, we have. Um, it, you know, I would say that the majority of my patients, after I'm done with their colonoscopy, they say well, I don't even know what I was worried about, or this wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Um, there's lots of um, myths out there about colonoscopy. And the good news is, is that the prep is not as bad as you may have been told. We have smaller volume preps, so you don't have to drink a gallon of fluid in order to prep. Um, the test is very comfortable. We use medications so that you're all the way asleep, but breathing on your own during the test. You don't have to, there's a, a commercial out there that suggests that you have to take two days off of work for a colonoscopy. That's absolutely not true. Um, most patients take one day off of work, you know, maximum one day off of work. Some of our partners actually will work throughout the day and then have their colonoscopy at the end of the day. You know, I mean, that's so, die hard. you know, I mean, yeah. so there's lots, lots of, um, like I said, myths out there about colonoscopy. It's a good, safe, easy test to screen for colon cancer and for the polyps that cause um, colon cancer. And colon cancer is a very treatable disease if you catch it early. But once that cat's kind of out of the bag, it becomes harder to treat. So we just really recommend that people get screening at the appropriate age so that we can help them out. Yeah. So don't be afraid. I will say I have had two colonoscopies because I have a family history. They're a nice nap. Yeah. I, I The first sure. one I had the high volume prep and it, it was not awesome. But the second one I had the low and it was great. So if one person is out there today and will schedule their colonoscopy, and perhaps save their own life. I think that's, we've done a good job today. So yes. guys, get out there, gals, and set up yourself for your screening colonoscopy. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having us. us yes, today on the you. radio show. I like this kind of, this double effort we got here in the all-female crew on Southern Remedy for Women. Our producer is Jay White. Our call screener, Michelle McAdoo. Thank you, Michelle McAdoo. This is Dr. Allie Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens will be back with me hopefully next week. Uh, Southern, um, stay tuned because MPB, or sorry, NPR's here and now is up next. I just messed that up so royally, but you guys come back next week and I'll get it right. <laughs>